Good day. Welcome to the Corey Morgan Show. I am indeed Corey Morgan. This is my weekly opportunity to bend your ear, go on about some issues, talk to some guests, have some news check-ins, all that good stuff. So thanks for tuning in and joining us all today. For you guys, if you are joining uh Live, by all means, use the comments, scroll. That's what it's there for. Uh, talk with each other, send comments my ways, comments to each other. It's all good. Just try to keep things civil. I see one just to, to start out with, with Jor Jordan uh, Lowenz, and, and he's commenting, and it's about uh, my monologue that's going to be coming up saying, uh, uh, doesn't fault Gondek for not coming to the menorah lighting, doesn't think religious ceremonies should be held at City Hall, period. Now, I can agree with that if there were no religious ceremonies being held at City Hall. But there are religious ceremonies for Christians, for Muslims, for Sikhs, all sorts of other people. The only one the mayor has a problem with is the Jews. So that's where it becomes a problem. If they truly make it secular for everybody, hey, then it's not a problem. But as it stands, when the mayor is going to hit some of them, then you hit all of them or none of them. Either way, I'll get into that in a moment uh, as, I, as I do my opening monologue here in a bit. Now, uh, but still, I appreciate the comment. I mean, that there's different points of view, and that's quite uh, what we're all about to a degree anyway. So I've got uh, Elise Mills coming on. She's been on before, a political commentator, strategist, and we're going to talk kind of about a year that was federally in politics and, and what we got to look forward to in politics, lost to look forward to, I imagine, in things. And of course, we'll have our news check-ins uh, with Dave in a moment and, and some other things as well. But let me get going then to talk more about what I was talking about with the comments and talking about mayors. Is mayors, you know, they love to dodge responsibility for policies because they always remind people, hey, I only represent one vote on council. You know, policy's bad. Yeah, I know, but I'm only one of a bunch. That's fair enough. But that being the case, what is the special role of a mayor? Well, the role of being a mayor is to speak for the city or town represented. They're the representative of the people. While the mayor is political by nature, of course, they're elected there and they're gonna hold political views, they're expected to set the personal politics aside when they're at functions representing constituents. Calgary Mayor Yodi Gondek threw all that out the window when she allowed her anti-Semitic views to dominate her actions and boycotted a menorah lighting in Calgary. Now, the lighting of the menorah has been a tradition in Calgary City Hall for 35 years. Uh, mayors of multiple faiths have diligently attended and respectfully taken part in the joyous Jewish tradition of celebrating light over darkness with the lighting of a menorah. Kicks off the observance of Hanukkah and offers a, a bonding event for Jews and non-Jews alike. But Gondek went and cast darkness over the tradition as she misrepresented what it was about and then boycotted it as publicly as she could. She brought shame to the office of mayor and by extension to the city of Calgary. Gondek's snub of Calgary's Jewish citizens had the opposite effect she hoped for, though. The event enjoyed record attendance as the City Hall atrium was packed and overflowed into the hallways of the building. The only complaint I have of the event, I went there myself, was how the uncomfortable heat was generated with a room jammed with so many people. And for those who've never attended one, just imagine a menorah lighting is something like a Christmas concert. Most, you know, Canadians have been to one of those. Yeah, there's a bit of a religious element. But most of the affair is focused on community bonding and having a good time. There was music, dancing, food, and children's choirs sang traditional songs. It wasn't politicized, and it certainly wasn't a rally or a hateful event. So why did Gondek go out of her way to discredit herself and embarrass the entire city of Calgary with her attack on the event? Well, there was a poster that came out days before the event, and it had the words, support Israel on it. Yes, Jews were supporting their traditional homeland of thousands of years. Neither the poster or the event spoke of supporting the war 
or supporting the government of Israel. Those are different things. It was simply a statement of support for a country that the vast majority of Canadians agree has the right to exist. In trying to call that statement controversial, Gondek's mask vanished. She's among those extremists who feel Israel shouldn't exist. She feels Jews shouldn't be able to even express the desire of wanting to maintain the nation of Israel. Supporters of Gondek's vile stance have also been falsely claiming that war bonds were sold at the event. They're purposely misrepresenting the practice of giving out two Israel bonds, these are savings bonds, just like you can get a Canada savings bond, to children at the event in a raffle. It happens every year. It has for years and years. It had nothing to do with the war. doesn't matter. Gondek keeps doubling down. She keeps talking about this. When Gondek snidely told organizers she wouldn't attend, they, they did at least ask. They tried negotiating. They said, could you quietly step out of the role? She said, no, no. She wants to make noise about it. They said, well, if you're going to put out a press release, will you show it to us so we can respond? She said, no. And she put out a charged release full of misinformation about the event. Now, condemnation of Gondek's move was immediate. And aside from among some extremists, it was universal. Veteran Calgary Herald columnist Don Braid began a column with the words, Jody Gondek is not fit to be the mayor of Calgary. Braid's usually restrained. I mean, he can certainly be cutting with his columns. But he was clearly outraged by Gondek's repugnant actions. And he's right. Gondek isn't fit to be mayor. Sadly, it's going to be two years before Calgarians can do anything about that. The day after the menorah lighting, Gondek went on the Calgary radio show and while she was drawing condemnation and ire across the entire country over this by now, rather than just showing a bit of contrition or even just going to carpet, she doubled down. She implied those sneaky Jews had pulled the wool over her eyes with the issuing of that poster. The poster was issued well before Gondek's boycott. And it was the same notion as po nature as post posters from years gone by. Gondek has been roundly called out by several columnists and others for spreading the old anti-Semitic trope about these sneaky Jews. She remains defiant, though, and unapologetic, despite having offended Calgary's entire Jewish community, and of course many people outside of the community, during what are very challenging times. All Gondek would have had to have done is show up, smile, say some nice words, and move on. But her loathing of the Jewish community just wouldn't let her. Jews represent less than 2% of Canada's population, yet nearly 70% of the reported hate crimes in Canada are against Jews. As due to the sort of divisive, hateful leadership shown by people such as Jody Gondek, along with the extreme union leaders and academics that have been out there spreading their garbage. There's only one way to hold Gondek accountable, though. It is up to voters. She has to be fired in the next election, and it has to be done decisively. Calgarians are terribly apathetic when it comes to civic elections, and the price of that indifference presents itself in mayors like Gondek. Gondek's unfit to be Calgary's mayor. Calgarians have to come out in force to let the rest of the nation know she doesn't represent them. That means taking part in the next municipal election and in force next time. Calgary deserves better. I mean, she's actually made me miss the head ninchy, and that's saying a lot. All right, enough about Gondek. Hopefully we don't have to talk about her ass for a while now. Let's talk about some other stuff and see uh, what else is going on out there in the big bad world with our news editor, Dave Naylor. Hey, Dave, how's it going? Good day, Corey. I think you should say what you really mean about Gondek. Oh, I sugarcoated a lot of it, I assure you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, we're only a few days away from Christmas, Corey, so I'm uh, I'm just wondering if you've got my gift yet. I'm still shopping. You know, you're just the guy who has everything. Well, I don't know about that. Just so you know, I'm getting you a tie. Oh, good. <laughs> no, I mean, I cut your last one off live on the air a few months ago. So yeah, didn't I you owe it to, you. to somebody or something? All right. 
Didn't we mail that out to somebody or something? Yeah, one of your fans was going to pay 50 bucks for it. <laughs> it was kind of uh, disturbing in a way. <laughs> yeah, a little bit. Oh, well. <laughs> we've uh, we've had a really busy morning as usual, Corey, here in the newsroom. We've uh, leading off with a uh, uh, disturbing case of road rage yesterday in Calgary. Uh, two vehicles and their, their drivers got into it after a collision. Uh, a knife was branded. And then in the, uh, the community of Temple, uh, one uh, driver pulled ahead, got out, uh, kicked the vehicle as it was going by. That driver stopped his vehicle and then reversed into the initial driver and crushed him against a tree, killing him. Uh, so uh, that guy is now charged with, uh, with manslaughter. A sad story out of uh, northern Alberta where Imperial has accidentally bulldozed a uh, hibernating bear. Uh, and they were clearing some area, and the uh, the bear uh, unfortunately had to be uh, euthanized. Uh, COP28 uh, wrapped up uh, this morning over in Dubai, Corey. I know uh, you've been glued to all the uh, the coverage out of there. Uh, our own Stephen Gilbo uh, uh, was absolutely giddy with the final uh, results, which uh, 200 nations came out and said they were going to uh, phase out fossil fuel. And uh, he says Canada was right there at the at the leading edge. Uh, I know you don't drink, Corey, but uh, we, uh, we have an interesting new alcohol on the market, uh, courtesy of Doritos. Uh, they are bringing out a cheese-flavored liqueur. And I think tasting something like that uh, may make me join you uh, on the wagon. I was about to say, that that doesn't make me miss drinking anymore, that's for sure. No, it's kind of <laughs> disgusting. Uh, our columnist, Dave Makachuk, is uh, saying that the Blue Jays probably uh, dodged a bullet by not getting... Uh, uh, wonder uh, baseball player Otani to sign. In fact, he went to the Dodgers for a uh, billion dollars uh, Canadian to play baseball. But, uh, you know, Makachuk's a Tigers fan, so uh, we'll take what he says uh, with a grain of salt. Our uh, opinion editor, Nigel, has got another edition of his Nigel Notebook, uh, leading off with uh, some liberals, some fairly high-profile liberals, including uh, former cabinet minister Marco Mendocino, uh, you remember he used to be the Minister of Lies, uh, turning sort of against Trudeau when uh, Trudeau uh, sided with uh, some countries like uh, Russia and Iran uh, to vote for a ceasefire uh, in, uh, in Gaza. Uh, we've got a couple of drug busts. A, a guy in uh, B.C. got sentenced to 15 years for a multi-million dollar smuggling operation, but uh, he has fled to India, so now there's a warrant out for him. And uh, the Wet'suwet'en, you remember them from a while ago, Corey, when they were blocking uh, railroad tracks. Uh, they've come out in favor, favor today of, uh, of Palestine, sending, uh, saying they, they stand in solidarity with them. So uh, now we know where, uh, where they stand. So, so that's it. We've got a story coming up, uh, an interesting one on the, uh, the residents of Exshaw, uh, west of Calgary, uh, near Canmore. Uh, they're filing a lawsuit against a cement plant there for uh, for all their emissions. All 450 so citizens there of uh, of Exshaw are fed up with the pollution. So, like you used to live there once, didn't you, Corey? Uh, I lived in Banff. So Jane and I were looking at places in Exshaw. Actually, a uh, long story, but back with the uh, 2013 floods came along, it wiped out the one house we were looking at. So I think <laughs> we made a good choice with Pritis. Uh, but it is a town next to a plant. I mean, the whole point of the town it was built for people to work at that plant. So. Uh, yeah, it's just usual whining citizens, I guess. Yeah, it has you know been there only a hundred years, so uh, you know people have had a chance to move away. 
<laughs> yeah, absolutely. Well, uh, Israel's sure to surrender pretty soon and let uh, Hamas win now that the Wetsa Wesson are, are on board. So it's good to see that development and turning point in the conflict. Yeah, that way, you know, as Minister Jolie said, Canada can get over there and start investigating the actions of uh, Israel, Israeli military. Uh, and, uh, that made me laugh out, uh, laugh out loud yesterday. Uh, we got to laugh about what we can these days. So Exactly. All right. Well, thanks, Dave. And I'll keep dwelling on what I'm going to get you for Christmas this year. And I'll, I'll let you get back to, to hammering out those stories there. Thanks, Corey. And we'll see you later on the pipeline where you will be wearing a tie. Yeah, afraid my contract only covered this show. All right. Thanks, Dave. Thanks, Corey. All right, that is our news editor, Dave Naylor. I see lots of stories. It's a, a busy one on there today, guys. Uh, just this is when I like to remind everybody all oh, the reason we have that many stories and that Dave Naylor can sit in there and coordinate all those hardworking reporters is because you guys have subscribed. So if you haven't subscribed yet, get on there, westernstandard.news slash membership. And it's $9.99 a month, $100 a year, guys. It's well worth it. You know, it's an investment in yourself. Just like an old newspaper subscription. We're not uh, asking for much but you can get full unfettered access to all these stories. And of course it supports us and we really appreciate it. So uh, before I get to the, the guest I'm going to have on, I've been uh, looking forward to having uh, Ms. Mills on. It's been a little while. Uh, just, I see a couple of the comments as well. So, you know, as I was ranting and raving about Jody Gondek, everybody has been for the last uh, couple of weeks. She's certainly earned it. But uh, a good question from commenter GB, how do we get more involved in municipal politics aside from rage posting? Which, yeah, I rage post for a living. I, I, it's, uh, but it, it has limited productivity to it. The bottom line is vote, pay attention, get on there, encourage others to pay attention, encourage others to vote. The turnouts in civic elections, Calgary's not alone, they're terrible. And it's, it's a, a mistake we make across the country, and we're all guilty of it. You know what? I you know, I don't know who my school board trustees are or were. I never paid attention to it. I probably should have. Uh, things like that in these municipal elections, as Jordan's pointing out too, there's groups like Common Sense Calgary, and I think they've expanded to, expanded to a Common Sense Lethbridge, Common Sense Red Deer. So there are activist groups trying to get people moving on things, but all I can say is we just, we have to get off our butts. We have to nag each other and say, hey, get off your butts. Because yeah, Calgary is notorious. We, we don't elect mayors in Calgary. They crown them. Their coronations. I mean, Ralph Klein uh, could have stayed on as the mayor of Calgary until his passing if he hadn't moved on to provincial politics. Al Dewar, uh, Bronconier, Nenshi, all of them, they all stayed on as long as they felt like. But Gondek is a little different. I mean, she is really a sour, sour person. And she actually was the first mayor in a long time. She never got the post-electoral bump. People never really warmed up to her. She, she won on a very big vote split in the Calgary election and a very low turnout. That's what I got to keep telling you about. She, as far as mayors go, is actually very vulnerable two years from now. But we got to get off our arses. That's the only way she'll be replaced. And uh, if we just keep not paying attention to the politics that are closest to us, the unions on the left are going to keep winning it. Because you know what? As much as they drive us nuts, they're good at what they do. All right, let's talk to somebody else who's good at what she does. And that's Elise Mills, She's commentator, strategist, and a political watcher. She's been on the show before. And uh, yeah, we want to talk about, I guess, what's the year that was and the year that's coming. Uh, hi, Elise. Thanks for joining us today. Hi, Corey. Thanks for having me. What a nice introduction. Well, I like to be nice before I get nasty, you know. So uh, <laughs> we'll see if I agree with what you got to say today before I... Uh, well, you gave me quite a task, Corey, because it was the year that everything erupted. Everything that domestically we had been 
pushing to the side or the Trudeau government hadn't addressed erupted. Uh, It's like Canadians woke up from a long slumber. Um, And, you know, there were a lot of things that happened that shielded uh, the Prime Minister and his government from any accountability. I mean, there was this massive eclipse of of Trump uh, arriving on the stage in that sort of bombastic way that shook up the global world order of things, uh, the politeness, but then came the pandemic and the variations of that. And then the interprovincial differentiations of where we were closing, where we were staying open. And then there was absolute chaos, I think, with the federal government in regards to vaccine rollout, what we had for PPE. And people were just frightened and scared, and they were scared and frightened for many different reasons, including, you know, how they were going to raise their kids and still continue to earn a living. Uh, This was uncharted territory. So it gave the prime minister a political shield like no other leader has ever received before. And it blinded or eclipsed us, or as Canadians, it eclipsed Canadians to the reality or it blocked them from the reality of some of the decisions uh, that Mr. Trudeau had made. It also blocked him from being accountable to any of the scandals that he was carrying forward. Um, And everybody was just sort of focused in on themselves and what they were doing and how they were going to get through. And I, I completely understand it. So... The list that I had for you today, Corey, originally started at three. Unfortunately, they they all glom on together. There's tentacles, um, and of course, the economy. I think was the was really out of the gate where Canadians woke up. Um, interest rates fueled that crisis um, of confidence for Canadians. And again, it was another, I think, a a huge shock and became fear-driven for many Canadians, it still is. But really what was underlying the inflation, and yes, there's inflation in the G7, there's inflation everywhere, it's hiding in every crevice and corner, but we in Canada are doing particularly terrible um, with our economy. Productivity slowed uh, to a crawl. Uh, we are now ranked, I think, 10th in the, in, in the uh, G7, or sorry, uh, in the Western countries for our productivity. We're on par with Greece and Turkey and other places, but the U.S. continued to climb. The problem when you have a slow productivity, you're going to see GDP per capita come to a grinding halt. And a large part of getting GDP going and productivity going is foreign investment. And that gets us to number two, the federal government's regulatory environment. It is, it, it is a swamp, and I don't mean that in the Trump way. It is discombobulated. It's opaque. Uh, foreign investors um, are, are, you know, hesitant to get involved with it. They've been, it's been proven to them that it's difficult to get the job done in Canada, specifically in telecommunications, banking, oil and gas, even clean tech, fintech, and other technologies. As uh, maybe Google and some of the other groups have realized, it's a bit predatory out there, and they this government sees these. Uh, you know, industrial-based industries or commercial industries as money grabs. And there's always the shifting pillars um, around the policy. What was good on a Friday may not be great or or the same thing on a Tuesday. And that really has affected uh, foreign investors' confidence. And there's a sentiment, sentiment out there that Canada can't be trusted to follow through on its swing. So, 
that's the main chunk of my of my first point, Corey. And I'm sure, and I I read your tweets all the time, every day. I look for them, and I know that you've spoken about this. It's it's asinine what's going on here. Well, yeah, I mean, things really seemed to turn around. It was around June, July. I mean, it, things were kind of static for years. You know, there was a minority government, but the opposition wasn't making gains. The government wasn't dropping. But something happened in June. You know, we, we saw a divergence in the conservatives rising and the, and the liberal support collapsing. I, I think a lot of it, I mean, you've hit the root of it. It's the economy. Uh, people before, when they thought it could be affordable, hey, you know, saving the climate is great and virtue signaling that way is fantastic. But when suddenly you can't make the rent, when you can't pay for the groceries, when you realize that you're in some serious economic trouble, nothing else matters anymore. They want somebody serious, not a, a professional virtue signaler like Justin Trudeau. Well, exactly. And I think that, you know, the chickens all came home to roost. Uh, I, again, I, I, I think unlike you and me who are watching what's happening every single minute of every single day, Canadians are busy raising families, getting to work. Uh, I, I know what those days were like having small children. I was a single mom for many, many, many years. And you're just hustling from, you know, in the, I, I, I think I did business in my car more than I ever did in, in my office, actually. And it's stressful. It's stressful to be a Canadian. And the opportunities at the C-suite and above are just not there in this country. And that can be directly correlated back to uh, a lack of foreign investment. I mean, on the West Coast where I am today, uh, you're not going to see any head offices. And we celebrate things like Amazon, you know, centers where packaging comes in. I mean, that shouldn't be what we call a tech investment. It's just ridiculous. But I am really concerned about productivity because productivity leads to that GDP, leads to the foreign investment and leads to good paying jobs. And everybody's talking about how there's all these jobs. Let's take a look at the at, at what these jobs really are. A lot of them are gig jobs, part-time jobs. There's lots of jobs with the government, but you want to be looking at where the where the economy is growing, and it's just not growing. It's actually shrinking back, and we haven't seen this. It, it became particularly bad uh, roughly a few years ago. But again, Canadians weren't watching, and anytime someone like me brought it up, everyone said, "Shut up! It's about the pandemic, and let's just keep spending." The this gets me in when we talk about spending. I think the next top story, and I'd like to shed a lot of light on this, is national defense. This uh, three months ago, the prime minister announced that he'd be cutting a billion dollars from national defense, a billion dollars that he had committed to. This is separate to um, the discussion uh, with world leaders. Specifically, it was something that former President Trump brought up, which was uh, making Canada increase its uh, spend in military to 2% of the GDP. Well, that's difficult when Canada's GDP is dropping like a, like a stone. Um, but this is down to some the base basic necessities, what I call the bricks and mortar, the infrastructure, what keeps our soldiers and military men and women safe. Um, and what really concerns me about this is that there hasn't been an overarching military strategy that's the equivalent of where the U.S., uh, France, Germany, the U.K., and surprisingly, uh, places like, you know, Holland and uh, Sweden, who surprisingly are leaders in uh, military AI and, and uh, new technologies. So we are not looking forward like our allies, and we're not coming anywhere close in being a good uh, ally and partner to the United States. 
And as you know, world order has changed and it's going to get a lot scarier out there. And Canada is just not in a position. And I'm very concerned about the men and women of our military. And it's absolutely frightening to see what's going on. So that to me, for me personally, was a big story that didn't get enough attention. And I understand why Canadians are having a hard time balancing that that grocery bill and, you know, putting you know, fuel in the car, especially if you're in British Columbia, where you have three fuel taxes, two carbon and one fuel tax. So it would, it, I understand that these issues may not be top of mind, but they should be uh, foreign policy, I think will play a big part in the upcoming election as it relates to are we prepared as a country? Well, and, and, and getting on to all of that, I mean, I, I predicted actually, I thought Trudeau was going to pack it in by the end of the year. I was wrong. Uh, he's hanging in there. He's as stubborn as ever. So, I mean, you know, kind of getting to the second half, I mean, I know there's only so much we can cover in 15 minutes, but uh, I noticed they've actually seen the first little bump in the polls. That was from uh, David Coletto just today, the first time they've shown a little life in, in months. Uh, you know, you can't rule those liberals out. I wish we could, but you can't. They, 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 they managed to make some amazing comebacks sometimes what have we got to look forward to in the coming year? I mean, from the economic and the political point of view. Well, I think, uh, you know, much like cats, liberals have nine lives. And what conservatives need to understand is, and this may not be, you know, what they want to hear, but they come in to, you know, to do cleanup on aisle six. When the country is gone pear-shaped and the money is being squandered and people are scared and unsure, conservative governments come in and they come in more frequently than they did, say, you know, 20, 30 years ago. Um, I think we should... I, I saw those polls today, Corey. I don't buy it because what's brewing on the front benches of the Liberals today is a division in the caucus over the UN vote. And I think that's probably the beginning of a larger fissure. I think there's lots of frustration on those Liberal benches. I think there's blue Liberals over there that we might consider to be what we used to call progressive conservatives that have watched some terrible fiscal and monetary policy or lack thereof float by. There's the scandals around the green slush fund. Uh, we're watching those committee uh, hearings uh, over the last week. What's come out of that is appalling. There's still many, many scandals with the Trudeau government in regards to foreign interference. And you know, um, there's many great reporters uh, like in the with the Western Standard and Sam Cooper who have done an incredible job on this, and we wouldn't know half of it. But it's very obvious that Trudeau is up to his neck in a lot of this. And I think you know, you look at an Anthony Housefather, or you look at uh, Medicino, or any of those guys. They're very vocal today, and they're none too pleased. No, and and uh, yeah, Cooper has, has done a fantastic job. I mean, he really That's digs in there. And, yeah. and he did such a good job before, and then he kind of got, unsurprisingly, I guess, punted from his role in legacy media, but he's just uh, carried on and resurfaced. Uh, I can't suggest, you know, strongly suggest enough to people to get out and seek his things out. He's, he's, he's very I good. Think, I think viewers of your show need to investigate as to why he was punted from his job. I think that pretty much tells the foreign interference story that really rooted itself and grew over the last 25 to 30 years in Vancouver. Vancouver's ground zero for why this country looks the way it does and why 
Canadians are house poor, why Canadians are homeless, why middle class Canadians are sleeping in their car. And this to me is, is, a, is a horror show. And quite frankly, I don't understand how we're not having, you know, committee hearings or, or, you know, any hearings in regards to the responsibility here. If this was the United States, you think you'd get away with this? No way. So yeah, Sam Cooper deserves a round of applause. And you know, I, I know that everyone at the Western Standard has been really supportive of him and his work as well. And he's really made a go of it. And I see it as his, I think it's very patriotic what he's doing. Um, and I, I think we should all give him a pat on the back because it's a hard, you know, it's a hard road there. You know that, Corey. Yeah, no, there's no easy money in independent media. I can No thanks to the Trudeau government. Yeah, no, no thanks to the not, Trudeau government. <laughs> we're not dining on Philly Mignon. I wish we were, but uh, we're getting yeah. by all right anyways. Uh, so uh, just quickly before we kind of wrap up, the the, the long, long, long-awaited, uh, you know, it, uh, inquiry into the Chinese foreign interference thing is kind of going to get underway in the new year. Do you think we're going to see much out of this or is this just going to be another kind of whitewash dragging it out through a bunch of bland testimony? Well, I think the Trudeau government has demonstrated what it's capable of, which is a, a fulsome, you know, response and in trying to bob and weave around this. I mean, it's procedural gymnastics that's gone over there. Uh, you know, we couldn't even get the prime minister, any staff from the prime minister's office. We can't hear from the prime minister. He's denied all of it. But the evidence really demonstrates that he was very aware of it. He was informed that this was taking place. Now, foreign interference, we just should highlight what I referred to in the housing market in British Columbia and uh, in our politics in BC, we were warned about it here much, much earlier than that, uh, as of 2009. And the national media said, no, it's Russia. And poor Richard Fadden, the former uh, director of CISA, said, no, it's actually China. Um, and so BC, what happened here is a virus that has spread which is not no longer just a Chinese problem. It's a Russian problem. It's, 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 it's manifested, but foreign interference and money laundering are connected, not just to our democracy, but our financial freedoms, our personal freedoms, our ability to own a home. It's all in there. And that's why I'm saying there's so many tentacles as Sam Cooper has done a brilliant job sort of uh, you know, slicing it out and saying, hey, this happened so that this could happen. And the political interference is not just to mess with our democracy, it is to mess with our economy. And it's made Canadians poor. It's put us at a huge disadvantage in our freedoms and our economic freedoms. Absolutely. Well, thanks to Sam's work. And hopefully with the inquiry, we get some more information and resolution and, and start to block some of these these holes because it's, it's just been, it's a, a giant spider web. We'll have to come on and talk about that just all by itself. Yeah. It has time. to be an RCMP investigation, like Folsom in a way that you would see, you've seen what the FBI and CIA have done in regards to India and the States. I mean, it's, our, our responses are not comparable to what the UK and the United States does. So I just want to say that because I'm incredibly disappointed by the country oh definitely it, it, it's a much bigger deal than it than has been given credit unfortunately for political yeah, it is. hopefully that changes but uh, boy the time went fast and i appreciate <laughs> checking i know there was a lot to cover but i think you don't know, covered quite a bit in there where can people find out uh, more about what you're up to elise and, and see your commentary out there you can follow me at millsy elise on twitter 
and it's IE at the end of Millsy. Uh, you can find me on LinkedIn. I have a open profile there and uh, hopefully you'll find me back here sitting or standing across from Corey Morgan relatively soon. <laughs> we'll have you on again soon. It's always All great right. to have you in. Thanks, Elise. And uh, we'll, we'll talk again soon. Thank you, Corey. Take uh, care. So yes, that is Elise Mills. And yes, she's prolific online. You can see her commentary and, and stuff everywhere. Shamefully, she was with the CBC for a while, but ah, we won't hold that against her. It was a better institution at a different time. So yeah, lots going on federally. And again, yeah, 15 minutes, yeah, just not enough to cover it. But at least to kind of get in a nutshell what's been going on this year and the amount of things that are building, and that's what's going on is they're building. And uh, we'll see what blows up in, in the new year. I see a couple other commenters coming in. Sean of Vism, and it says Vision from uh, Atlantic Canada. I like it when I see people on the other coast. I like seeing people local like Gordon from Brooks as well checking in and, and uh, uh, Angela in Alaska. It just reminds me, you know, we're talking to a whole lot of people here getting a whole lot of views. I, I, I'm going to speak to something a little more local, but it's, it talks to a broader issue. This is something that just disturbing. I'm seeing the news. It's on the Western Standard site, but it's on other news sites as well and everything. So uh, a, a man, and I'm going to say a man named Laverne Waskahat, is a repeat pervert baby raper. Literal, literal. This person has been convicted of creating uh, uh, child porn with infants, not even just children. I mean, it's horrible anybody under 18. We're talking under three years old. And uh, this man uh, now identifies as a she. I don't care. Uh, this is just more crap and politically correct subterfuge when we've been warned that this person's been released and they feel this person's going to re-offend this man. And this man uh, was also released in 2019 and re-offended and got put back in jail and released in 2020 and re-offended and got put back in jail. Watch for this man. And you know why I get so upset? It isn't just the trans thing and so on. It's that this is somebody we need to watch out for. This is a dangerous person. This is somebody you don't want near you and most definitely not near your children. So we want as close to an accurate description of this pervert as possible. And this pervert is a man. I don't care if he identifies as a she. I noticed in a global news story about this pervert, that it, it, it refers to itself as a V-them. It's a man and a dangerous one. The other thing they won't talk about, the police don't talk about with their release, but as you can see from the picture, it is a man of First Nations origin. I'm not saying that every First Nations person is a pervert, not by any means, but it's another descriptor that is important when you're watching out for somebody. It's not saying watch out for every First Nations person, but it helps you when looking out and watching out and making sure this pervert doesn't get near your kids. Unfortunately, unfortunately, he's going to do it again. The ones like this always do. I don't know who the poor victim or victims are going to be, but this is where the political correct, the woke, the crazed garbage, this gender identity crap crosses a different line. It's not a matter of novel. It's not a matter of just somebody, some student saying, I'm a she this week, I'm a he next week, I'm a they, them the week after that. No, this is news media and police forces giving a clear man a different gender identity. What if you're only hearing about this person on the radio? You think it's somebody named Laverne who identifies as a she and you'll be on the lookout for a woman. It's not. It's a man. I'm sick of this. I'm sick of it. Not when it gets to the point now of dangerous, of putting children at risk. Identify however you please. But when we're describing a dangerous criminal as being released on our streets that's going to harm our children, 
I want the descriptors to be as accurate as possible. So yes, if it means we have to misgender, yeah, right, this person from the gender identity they want to choose, too damn bad. So keep an eye out, people of Alberta, everywhere, watch out for this pervert. Let's hope that uh, he is incarcerated without doing much harm soon and never gets out again. The world's just gone mad. Uh, let's see what's else going on in the news. You know, unfortunately, lots of bad things, but that's just the way it goes. Uh, the RCMP, you know, for a warning in Southern Saskatchewan, there's a harmful type of fentanyl going around. Well, all fentanyl is harmful. Uh, you know, that's one of the things I get tired of, the sugar coating and the woke and the other garbage too. And they talk about drug intoxication. It's an overdose. It's an overdose. It's not bad supply. There's no good supply. Okay. Not when it's self-administered, not when it's bought in the street, or even when it comes from a dispensary. They're street drugs. And they're abused and they're dangerous. But this particular fentanyl, I guess now, it's going around Swift Current and Moose Jaw, is even worse because apparently it doesn't even respond to naloxone, which has been very effective on pulling people out of an overdose. It doesn't always save them, but has a better chance of it. And uh, just the heads up, guys, uh, this is going around now. Again, th this kind of puts a bit of lie to, to the safe supply, the enablist crowd and, and those people and such that, uh, you know... <sighs> you're playing whack-a-mole here, guys. You aren't going to win. You can have your dispensaries. You can give out drugs. All you're doing is creating more addicts. And the addicts, and I know, Dave mentioned earlier, I don't drink. There's a reason. It's because I'm an alcoholic. It's an escalating thing. You start here and you keep having more and more and more. You get more tolerance. You get more cravings and it goes up. So whatever they hand out, the dispensaries, we're seeing that in the West Coast. We're seeing it in Vancouver already is they get the, the free drugs from the dispensary. They go out. They don't want that. It's not good enough for their fix. They sell that often to people who aren't addicted yet creates new addicts. And then they take the money from that and they go out and buy the more powerful and more dangerous street garbage that's out there. And unfortunately, it kills them, kills them a lot. It causes a lot of addiction. And then we get into the politically correct and the woke and uh, another denial when it's putting people at more risk and making them unsafe. So in Calgary, people might have heard this story. It is tragic. At, at a, a local hardware store, there's a uh, a shed, you know, a display shed is a, you know, if you were going to build a shed in your yard or whatever, you see them all in the parking lots of stores. It turns out a number of uh, homeless people have been living in that shed for quite a while, actually, already. That's one of the things, too, is the, the company, of course, I'm, I'm just going to guess, but they look the other way because they just don't want the public relations grief of evicting them. We'll just let it be. But the problem is something happened. The thing caught on fire and it killed all three people in it the other night. Now, I'm just guessing. I could be wrong. Wouldn't be the first time. But I'm going out and I think some pretty well-educated guesses on what happened here. These are addicts. It was cold. They probably took fentanyl because it knocks you cold. I talked about my colonoscopy and they gave me that stuff that time. I tell you, it's effective when properly applied by a doctor. You don't feel anything. And when they were zonked out on that, whatever they had for heating in there, whether it was candles or a propane stove or maybe it was just a lighter they were using to light their pipe and they dropped it on the floor when they nodded out but they were unconscious, the shed caught on fire. It's not hard to get out of a shed, guys. We're talking small, you open the door, you dive out. But if you're all unconscious on you know, uh, fentanyl, well, then you, you burn to death and it's terrible. It's terrible. But you see the, the problem as well, sure enough, out of the woodworks, here they all come. This was caused because we have a lack of housing. No, it was caused because they were heavily addicted to a dangerous drug. That's why they're homeless. You see, we got this, again, the enablers, they just don't want to admit the problems with addiction and the problems with kicking everybody out of, out of our mental health uh, institutions as well. 
they try to say the people are on the street because we don't have enough houses. And it's true, we don't have enough houses and the rents are too high. But seriously, seriously, when you see the one zoned out, nodding off at a bus stop, do you think that person's ready for a home, a regular home yet? The reason the person's like that was because they couldn't find an apartment somewhere? No. Do you think the people who lit that shed and unfortunately killed themselves are ready for a house, a fourplex somewhere? No, they would strip the copper out of the walls and sell it for their next fix, and they would probably burn that place down too. It's not saying we should turn our back on these people. It's not saying they don't need shelter. The cold snaps are going to come eventually, and it's going to be terrible to them. But we got to face it with reality. We want to shelter the addicts, and I think we should. I think we should intervene. I think Daniel Smith, Premier of Alberta, has been saying the right thing, saying we've got to get in there and intervene, even if against their own will, and take them off the streets because they're going to die there. And I understand that forced intervention doesn't have a big success rate with drug treatment, but you know what? Leaving them on the streets has a death sentence. And they aren't ready for just a bloody house. We need housing. We need secured housing for addiction treatment. We're talking virtual concrete walls because you have to be able to hose it out when you're done and they can't burn it. That's the short term. I'm not talking about incarcerating long term, but got to get real. Keep pretending, oh, this is just somebody who was down and out and couldn't get an apartment. No, they're a junkie. We see them on the street corners. We see them downtown. We see them behind the dumpsters. And I'm tired of other people. Oh, what about their dignity? What dignity's left? Really? And they really are. You know, people say, you should be nicer about this. This is somebody's daughter. This is somebody's cousin, somebody's brother. Absolutely, they are. And I do worry about that. And I do feel for those families. What would the family prefer, though? Would they prefer the state stepped in and grabbed them and put them into a secured facility and at least tried? Or would you rather that family's daughter still sexually service guys to make enough money for the next fix? Or the son gets beaten half to death because he was trying to steal something from somebody's backyard to get his next fix? Which way has more dignity? Which way is better? Which way has a better chance of a future? Hard realities, guys. They suck. But they're better than the fuzzy-headed enablement cult thinking that we can just keep feeding them free drugs and just keep saying it just needs housing and refusing to address the underlying issues of untreated mental health issues and a serious, serious addiction problem. So quit pissing around. We're going to see more and more of these cases, unfortunately, with tragic endings. Uh, let's see, what else we got going on? We got a, a case going on, Coastal Gas Link. So that's the pipeline. It's been under construction, it seems forever. That's the one that Dave mentioned earlier, the Wet'suwet'en, which uh, is a split uh, First Nations band that's out in Interior, BC, that uh, they have elected people who support the pipe, but the environmentalists pulled up all these fake chiefs, and I call them fake, they're hereditary chiefs, who they feel should be able to override the pipeline and stop the construction. It'd be like having Prince Charles come out to Calgary, or sorry, King Charles, I'm still getting used to that, and uh, tell us how we're going to run our business out here. Guys, those days are done. Either way, they finally got the bloody thing done. And it was delay after delay after delay. And uh, it came in, uh, you know, billions over budget, way too late. Uh, it's finally almost finished, though. Even though there was a terrorist attack on the north end of that thing, you might not remember that. But yeah, they, they went and uh, there were terrorists, attacked police and security and construction workers up north. You know what? There was never an arrest. Never caught anybody on it. Either way, now TC Energy is filing a suit against the Pacific Atlantic Pipeline uh, Construction Company for 1.2 billion claiming that poor performance in constructing it 
It's interesting. They say it's precedent setting. I don't know if they'll get the money. The bottom line is if anybody should be sued, it should be the government who didn't get in and stop the bloody uh, protests who kept hindering and holding up and slowing the construction of that thing over and over again. Likewise, with the Trans Mountain Line, the idiots have blown the budget on that thing by what? You know, over $20 billion. Government run and delays and delays and delays. There's another delay now or some uh, easement change they wanted to make. It's ridiculous. I guess if, if they can recover a bit of money from that other company from, from Italy or whatever, good luck to you. But that wasn't the root of the problem. The root of the problem was that the, the, this thing was held up by, by, by uh, protesters constantly in a government that's too cowardly to actually tell them to go to hell and say this thing is going ahead. Uh, likewise with the Trans Mountain. I mean, it was regulated nearly to death. Speaking of housing, I mean, getting back to something that's been announced recently, the government's talking about going back to a World War II policy of, you know, bringing in some pre-designed houses and saying they can speed the process because these are already, you know, designed and approved and they can build them faster. Okay, why do we need the federal government to do that? What they are addressing is, yes, they're right and, and yes, they're wrong. We need more housing and we need to speed it up. We need to speed up the approvals. We need to speed up the process to get these things built. But it's not a matter of the design of the house. It's a matter of these overreaching governments on every level, the federal government with their environmental controls, the provincial government with their pandering, and the civic governments with their, uh, again, fear of stirring up the people who already own houses. Zoning changes are hard. New developments are hard to get approved. It takes years and years. Paperwork, red tape, approvals. Strip all that crap out. Fire a bunch of useless bureaucrats. City halls jammed with them. The provincial uh, government is jammed with them. The federal government is jammed with them. And just build the damn things. We don't need to dig up a, and consult over a World War II policy. And you got to remember, somebody's got to have the courage to tell some of the existing homeowners, too damn bad that new district's going in next door. Get over it. Because that's part of the problem with the politicians. we got the I got mine mentality, but I don't want anybody else to build theirs. So I'll close with pointing out Exshaw. Dave mentioned it earlier. Exshaw is a little community just into the mountains. Uh, anybody who's driven to Banff has seen it. There's a couple of great big towers and a couple of factories. They make concrete there. And yes, I grew up in Banff. I'm very familiar with it. Exshaw itself is a town right at the factory. It's right there. It was built for people to work in the cement plant. And uh, now... A bunch of those citizens in there who moved out afterwards, they don't work there anymore. They just moved because you don't need the staff like you used to. They're whining and suing the concrete plant because it's dusty and loud. Why the hell do you think you managed to buy a house 40% cheaper there than in the town of Canmore, farther up the valley? Because you bought next to a factory. I'll sue the factory afterwards, but that's the stupidity and the arrogance and the attitude of some people when they got that, I got mine attitude, now let's stop everything else. So... Civic politicians are going to get the courage to stand up to some of those people and provincial and federal or our housing is not going to grow. It's not going to keep up and it's not going to get any better. I know asking for politicians to have courage. I'm asking the impossible, but I got to keep trying folks. All right. That's what I got for today, guys. Uh, be sure to tune in. The pipeline, as Dave mentioned, will be on later. There'll be more discussion with him and Nigel and myself on a number of other issues. And, uh, Watch for all the rest of this stuff on the westernstandard.news, guys. It's constantly breaking stuff out there. It's important, and we are covering it for you. So thank you all for tuning in today. Share the links with other people so we can keep building this audience, and uh, I will see you all next week at this time. i got an extra special guest on. I'll announce that later. Have a good day.
Canadian Shooting Sports Association. Without the CSSA, our gun rights would have been taken long, long ago. These guys are on the front lines helping to draft smart and intelligent firearms regulations and legislation in Canada. And more importantly, educating the public about how we keep guns out of the hands of the wrong people. You become a member, it's absolutely worth every penny.